0: Rethinking healthcare takes more than disruption. It takes more than thought leaders. It takes change makers and doers. That's who we'll be speaking to on the Healthcare Rethink podcast, giving you, our dedicated listeners, a rich body of insights to make your own change. This is the Healthcare Rethink podcast. Yes, this is the Healthcare Rethink podcast. I am your host, Brian Urban. And today we are getting down with AI and automation in healthcare. And who else could join us to talk about this dynamic emerging space than the co-founder and current COO of CloudMedX, Sahar Ashad. Thank you so much for joining our little show today.
1: Thank you for having me here, Brian.
0: This is going to be so much fun. We're going to get to know CloudMedX more. We're going to get to know you more. Exactly how... AI is maybe unifying, not disrupting the healthcare system, and really going to fix a lot of things going wrong. So let's let's jump right into it. Uh, so uh, Sahar, thank you again for coming on the show. And with each episode, we like to get our audience familiar with our guests. So could you just tell us a little bit about yourself and how you came to co-found this really creative? AI tech startup that is uh, is having a really big impact. So
1: my name is Sahar. I'm the co-founder and chief operating officer of CloudMedX, um, and I have a tech background. So uh, tech background, twenty years of experience in building products in multiple domains, hardware, software, as well as healthcare. And around eight years ago, uh, we had a misdiagnosis in the family, and we. Uh, During that incident, uh, we figured that it's a lot of times what happens is um, that when a patient goes to a health system or a hospital, a lot of times there's either too much data um, and not enough time to go through the entire medical history, or there's just insufficient data at at, at that time um, where you have to make a decision, and patients fall through the cracks all the time. And we started talking to a lot of doctors, and we figured that it is a very common problem and something that can be partly uh, prevented uh, through technology. So if you have a system in place that can predict adverse events in advance, highlight who the high-risk patients are, and provide recommendations backed by data to the provider at the point of care, it can uh, prevent a lot of similar incidents. And that's how CloudMedx was born um, eight years ago.
0: That's amazing, and I'm 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 thankful that you shared a little bit of your family experience, and I'm sorry to hear that it was challenging, but not an uncommon family example that I think a lot of great-minded uh, doers in our healthcare tech ecosystem have created different solutions and have wanted to take on a challenge because it's personally impacted themselves or their families. So uh, that's that's amazing. It's a purpose-based. Uh, tech solution that obviously you're you're growing up and eight years old now. So congratulations on going on now nine years, but uh, eight years in the market. And I want to know more about kind of your growing up story with Cloud MedX. So uh, you, you entered into the space, not only uh, being able to use data in an artificial intelligence framework, but you've added a lot of different solutions onto who you are as an organization. So can you walk me through a little bit more about uh, your development of CloudMedX and the services and solutions that you've you've really started to put out into the market today?
1: Yeah, so the way the uh, products and the company was developed because of uh, a big need. Uh, and so even before we had a company, we had a customer that was asking us to aggregate data from different sources. They were an ACO that, Wanted to put all that information in one place and highlight who their high risk patients were. And so the first um, iteration of the product was a population health tool that could bring all the information in one place and uh, highlight, you know, do risk stratification. And then from then onwards uh, to where we are now, uh, we've worked with uh, large health systems as well as payers. Uh, to not only bring the information, the data into one place, clean it up so that it's ready for downstream applications, to improve uh, operations, to improve clinical outcomes, financial outcomes, as well as patient engagement. Because if you do clinical, operational, financial well, uh, but the patient is not engaged, you would not get the um, right results. Uh, So it's a platform, but very modular, uh, where you have, Number there there are basically five components. The first one is getting the data in, unifying it, and then four applications on top of it. And it's backed by a lot of automation. So everything that we do, we provide automation in it so that it's fast and it's efficient. Um, And the problem that we see right now is that there's just a lot of manual overhead. Everything is done manually. You already have such a labor shortage. You know, there are two out of five healthcare workers are leaving. And so in this kind of market, if you're doing everything manually, it's just people are burning out. Um, And so I think that automation uh, is the solution, um, part solution to this problem where, you know, you can eliminate all uh, the manual tasks and focus on really the patient connection uh, that the providers can do. Um, And, you know, there's just so much that happens uh, um, behind the scenes, like your documentation, you know, putting in the information, extracting information that can all be uh, done through technology.
0: So Ari, you hit on a couple of really important things there that I think are often overlooked. One, it's patient centricity. You mentioned that up front. So it has to be about pulling the patient into the journey, so it's it's important to understand their experience and preference-sensitive care needs that they might have. Not just a whirlwind of automation around them, but how can it really touch them in a meaningful way? And your tech definitely does that. And uh, connected to that, uh, automation for the actual users. So it's removing the administrative burden or manual burden that's on a lot of healthcare practitioners these days. Uh, that has been, I think, the biggest challenge but the biggest opportunity for a lot of healthcare tech organizations over the last couple decades here. So it, it seems like kind of uniting all the healthcare stakeholders and aggregating the data you were saying in, in your modular platform can definitely be overwhelming. It's like where do you start? There's so many use uses. Uh, one thing I thought was really interesting about your technology is how it leverages natural uh, natural language processing, NLP. And I, I want to understand how that helps connect health plans and healthcare providers in an automated scenario. So c- can you walk me through something that you use NLP for these days?
1: Yeah. So we use NLP in almost all components, which is the data aggregation part, as well as part of our applications. So I'll give you two examples. So when the data comes in, it comes in both Structured and unstructured text. Uh, unstructured text is like your discharge summaries, doctor notes, you know, handwritten stuff. And a lot of that is not analyzed because it's not in a structured format. Um, so we use NLP to first uh, normalize the data, identify if there's any missing information. Uh, for example, you want to do risk adjustment and you get a lot of data in and it's missing some important information such as patient enrollment information or some other data elements, it could highlight those uh, missing data points upfront um, through NLP. So that right now what happens is it's a very manual driven environment where you get a lot of data, someone manually scans through, and it takes them a couple of weeks to identify, you know, this had missing information, then they go back, get the information, and then it's finally ready um, to do risk adjustment and that's just one example. Um, So we use NLP over there and then in downstream applications as well, uh, for example, you wanna extract information from EMRs. Uh, Right now what happens is nurses or highly qualified staff have to go in, extract information such as uh, pain score and other information which is in doctor notes. Uh, So it's a very manual process where a person can do five charts an hour. And it takes them weeks to process, or months to process hundreds of people, months to process a million rackets. Our technology, uh, we did a recent deployment where it, it the tech was able to do it in under five hours. So that's the kind of efficiency. Um, and these are, you know, we've seen in other industries where automation has really uh, helped expedite the process, um, and it's more efficient, it's more accurate, um, and then. You know, you can use the same people to do uh, other work or, uh, you know, process more data in the same amount of time.
0: And that's a wonderful example, because uh, in other industry, like you mentioned, manufacturing supply chain, it's worked really well in lean process management. And then you apply that into healthcare, And man, it's it's changing performance, quality of care and communication as well inside a, a health service setting or even with a payer that might be affiliated or outside of a healthcare system. So I love the example in particular with unstructured data that you had from like physician notes. That has always been such a drag forever. Uh, And I think the more patients that are being seen on a smaller uh, health health center or hospital, it's just more work and more drain and more burnout but when you offset that work you can elevate the performance of the healthcare practitioner so it's just that's a beautiful example and it's, it kind of leads me to looking at some of the negative reaction that ai in particular let's step out of this example uh, from nlp and go into ai a little bit here so it's been uh, a a wild evolution when we think about uh, chat gpt4 now And uh, even other industry leaders outside of healthcare have noted that there's a lot of danger with AI and it's come under concern from the US and from other organizations uh, sitting outside of the US, but it can solve a lot of big gaps in in communications. So um, do you see more risk in AI in the future or do you see more deep benefits? with AI as we refine how it's positioned and used?
1: Yeah, it's all about how it's positioned and used, right? You position it and use it the appropriate way, and then you can use it for your benefit. Uh, I'll give you an example in healthcare, right? I think it's not a whether we should use AI or not, it's a must have. You know, there's so much data, there's like more than 30% of the data is health data. So it's not possible for a human to manually analyze all that data. So you have to learn from these patterns that you can learn from so much data, right? Millions of data, then you can see what happened to similar patients, what kind of treatments work, um, what could work for this patient, what does the disease trajectory look like, and you can really focus on preventative uh, medicine. And so without AI and technology, you're not able to do that. No one can, you know, that's not a, our processing is limited, uh, but a machine's processing is much more. uh, So you can do a lot um, if you use it, apply it appropriately. Of course, you need to put in safeguards and uh, make sure that it's used. um, And you have a physician in the loop, you have a person, the expert in the loop so that um, they can validate uh, everything and make the decisions. But it does make everyone's jobs easier.
0: I couldn't agree with you more. Obviously, I'm biased toward that. But it's, it's the application just makes sense. We have had such a, a big population change and growth in certain parts of the world that you can't possibly service all the needs that are happening or prevent uh, things from happening that have adverse life effects if you don't use AI, if you don't use uh, just a process of Inserting it in the most appropriate ways and having safeguards. I think some of the comments, uh, maybe fear-based comments in the industry have been AI is going to be used for autonomous surgical procedures or primary care and things like they're kind of leaping like 50 years into the future or 20 years in the future, rather than staying grounded with how, can, how we can learn how to use it together and not making up uh, very odd scenarios. So thank you for those examples because- Yeah,
1: we're still using paper forms. So (laughs) (laughs) there's a lot of opportunity to grow and put it in places where it can really elevate the experience for everyone, patients, provider pairs. uh, The experience is very, very broken, uh, right? Uh, For a patient, there are long wait times. There's, um, you don't know how much a procedure would cost. It's just a lot of uh, confusion. And similarly, with physicians, it's the same problem. Lots of uh, documentation and administrative work. So it can elevate the experience for everyone, um, even the administrators, executives, uh, where you have the right information at your fingertips and not having to you know, wait for weeks to get the information or not ever getting uh, the data that you need.
0: Yeah, I, the timeliness of everything is is really important too, and delivering care, coordinating care, and you actually hit on a really interesting uh, point that made me think about. You know, we, there's a lot of processes that still use paper uh, <laughs> in a clinical workflow, uh, whether it's rural, regional, large health systems, they still have some sort of uh, paper, hard copy, physical, manual process to them in a variety of settings, and. Uh, I think we're we're starting to address all of these dated things we've done. And one big dated thing is is trying to address social determinants of health and close inequities. and i love I love two things about your tech. One, you have a data visualization map on food access on your site, which is is awesome, and it's very helpful because that's a very big challenge in terms of. Addressing SDOH domains uh, is food is very very challenging uh, because it, it involves behavior and access and affordability. So I mean we've really had health disparities by race, ethnicity, gender, language forever since <laughs> the dawn of time, and I, I think I feel like we're coming to a tipping point, and the the access to social services is becoming more crucial now than ever, and. I want to get your perspective on kind of a societal cost. If the healthcare ecosystem, healthcare providers, systems, plans, pharmacy, pharmaceutical manufacturers, if if they aren't investing into tech that is helping solve or, or advance health equity, what's the true cost? Are, like how bad is it gonna get that we have to hit a wall before? You know, we we invest into this space as an industry. I want to understand your, your perspective of, is it do or die right now? Or are you seeing some more adoption across the space with SDOH technology?
1: Yeah, I think there is a lot of interest these days. There's a lot of talk about health equity. And I think uh, they're headed in the right direction where um, there's a realization that these social determinants of health, like where you live your income level, your education level, your access to food uh, and nutrition, that plays a huge role in your clinical outcomes. Uh, so what we do is we highlight both clinical and non-clinical risks. So these SDOH uh, factors would be your non-clinical risks because uh, let's say a patient, Sahar, is uh, not adhering, she's not taking her medications. Um, and so we know that medication adherence is a big problem and uh that can cost um a lot you know uh, to the patient as well as uh the entire industry if that's not uh, the adherence is not in place um but the reasons could be many and could be sdh reasons maybe the person doesn't have a car or a transportation or they don't have a pharmacy nearby or they're working two jobs and they don't have enough time so all these factors play a huge role in um identifying those non clinical risks so that they can be addressed and um, you can improve uh, the outcomes and make sure um, that the patient is able to adhere to their plans, and uh, those uh, factors are addressed. And a lot of uh, organizations have started giving uh, Uber credits if the patient cannot, you know, they have transportation issues, uh, food delivery, medication delivery, and I think um, that is um, an area where people are uh, putting in a lot of focus in and. Um, there needs to be even more uh, focused there.
0: I love that you said that. So that's a big call for our listeners. It needs to be even more focused on, invested into. And you brought up a really good point. Not You said non-clinical. So how important is it for health plans, payers in particular here, to have a view of non-clinical information, basically everything that's happening outside of a doctor's office? How key is that for health plans to stand up programs or, or see what's going on in someone's life at the individual or group level.
1: Yeah, it is very, very important. So they say uh, more than uh, 80% of your outcomes are determined by your social uh, drivers of health. And so being able to not only identify the, what those uh, risks are and then do something about it, uh, to take an action and uh, provide that accessibility to the patient. Um, and also um, go a step further and see how do these uh, social determinants of health impact chronic conditions. Let's say so. There is a lot of stuff that you can do um, by looking at you know what are the factors that could really uh, you know in a meaningful way you can quantify how would that um, hit the bottom line and um, impact the outcomes.
0: And I think you know where I'm going too because I wanted to get more information, not only on your perspective and your technology aimed at addressing social determinants of health barriers, but your actual tool, the SDOH Explorer. Uh, I find this pretty fascinating. And I, I wanted our listeners to, and personally to learn a little bit more about the SDOH Explorer. And it's, it's an incredible visual tool. And I think we need that sometimes. We It's tough for us to just work off of reports uh, and alerts, but it's better to use a tool that's visual and illustrative in nature. So can you uh, just give us an update on the SDOH Explorer?
1: Yes, so the SDOH Explorer is one version is available freely for everyone, Uh, so you can go to sdohexplorer.cloudonexl.com. And um, what you can do is you can search any area, a county, even a zip code, and it will give you information about data about um, food deserts, uh, food insecurity levels, income level, etc. Um, And that gives you really, um, and it's color coded, so you can see which areas have um, uh, populations that may uh, have a greater need uh, for certain things. And then um, we work with organizations where they provide their own data, um, and then we can help them uh, connect uh, with, um, you know, organizations such as Meals on Wheels, and that that do the actual last mile uh, delivery uh, to really close that entire loop. Um, and then we also provide a number of uh, scenario modeling capability to see if you do this, how could that impact uh, based on all the data that we've collected. So a public version is available freely for anyone to go uh, and you know zoom in, uh, go into any zip code, and explore. Uh, but then there is also um another uh, solution which goes behind the firewall where organizations can see their own member data
0: and that's that's really cool because i've i've used it and it's great to always test drive something and you maintain it obviously because it can't be just static so i wanted to learn a little bit more about how how you maintain the tool and um and then also of course any any really exciting updates that you're having with any version twos or threes or fours with the Explorer tool?
1: So we have, uh, we've added a lot of chronic condition data, uh, over 20 chronic conditions data um, within uh, the tool uh, so that you can see how does it impact um, if you, let's say food insecurity, how does that impact diabetes, let's say. Uh, So a lot of fun interactive uh, modeling that someone can play around and see, How uh, does it impact their population and what they can do about it? So really, the idea is not just to provide you a static dashboard, but something that you can take an action on.
0: That's really helpful because I think that is is giving a continual look for the user where I think a lot of older tools or publicly available data that is is pulled for some platforms that are out there. Is is really retroactive data? It's not really helpful. It's kind of in a time frame in the past, but your tool is maintained and it, it gives an updated look for the users. So, uh, for our listeners, check it out, SDH Explorer. Uh, it's uh, it's a really cool tool that's publicly available uh, version out there. And you know, I, I, Sahar, I wanna, I want to look at our crystal ball here and uh, think about the next few years, maybe maybe two years down the road what do you feel Cloud MedX's biggest contribution impact will be uh, for the healthcare ecosystem?
1: So in simple words, it's to elevate the experience uh, for everyone that's involved, uh, patients, providers, payers because right now the experience is really broken, right? It's, I, as I mentioned before, um, the long wait times, price transparency is a huge issue, like patients would get bills where they don't understand what it means um you know in network out of network patient doesn't know all of that you know why is it something costing them so much um and so all of that should be transparent easy for the patient easy for the uh, provider it seems like non-trivial it's not Uh, but that's what i really want is an experience no one likes to go to the hospital. No one likes to get sick. And on top of that, the experience is so broken. So at least fix the experience so that they are on top of things. Um, it's personalized to patients. Right now, if you buy something in retail, you know, it's, everything is personalized to us, uh, to you know, what we would like. I would like a personalized approach to uh, medicine.
0: I love it. The
1: With the technology that we have today, it's possible. It's uh, just a matter of uh, implementation.
0: And there's no excuse why we can't have this happen uh in the next five, ten years, especially in our lifetime for sure. But uh you're right, it's um uh the the healthcare experience is not great, it's fragmented and uh, it's almost equivalent to uh, going to a gas station experience. It's something you don't wanna do, you just have to do, fill up your car, charge your car and get out. It's, it's something that needs to evolve and change and it shouldn't be uh, the last thing in our society to change because it's the most important thing that we have is health and time. So um, I love those final comments. Uh, so Sahara Shad, thank you so much for joining our little show today. And for more excerpts and insights, please visit us at finthrive.com.
1: Thank you, Brian.
0: Thank you.